Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you're listening to the Singapore Noodles Podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food culture. Today I have on the show Gladys Fu, who is the founder of Gladys Fu. Hainanese in heritage, Gladys started selling kueh such as Angku Kueh and Ibua when the pandemic struck. In this conversation, we chat about the role that kueh has had in knitting her family together and how we can all preserve kueh making traditions in our own homes. How was growing up for you like? Were you constantly surrounded by kueh and by traditional foods? Um, actually, growing up, uh, not really surrounded by traditional foods. Um, in fact, I think um, because circumstances back in 1970s during my childhood days, uh, family circumstances were not very good. So we just got by with uh, what my mom could provide because my dad passed away when we were quite young. But I remember um, a, a grand aunt, my grandmother's cousin, she actually makes the Hainanese Ipua for, for orders. So she takes in orders and everything. And what happens is that um, she will always make extra and drop them by our place. So I always remember eating um, eating those uh, uh, Ipua since young. And it's actually a special treat because everybody in my family enjoys it. Like, or those who in my family that likes coconut will enjoy mm. it so i grew up eating that uh that way um also grew up making love letters the traditional way that means the charcoal with the with the mole and everything so uh, i always remember that um my my auntie and my grandma and my mom together with my older siblings they will start making the love letters from like early in the morning from like maybe eight something in the morning and they would make it in the backyard. And then as the sun rises and then the sun gets really, really hot, they slowly move it all the way to the front yard, you know. So I've always met and they, and they make a lot to give away to relatives as gift-giving exchange. And it will start from like 8 in the morning and only end like late at night. So they used to make a lot. And also because they only had like five of the moles. So it was a very slow process basically um and then another another kue that i always remembered um my grandma making the nian kao the mm. traditional way uh she used to build this makeshift um fire stove using wood um uh and she will actually steam like maybe a few at one go in this big wok and also I always grew up you know with, with I mean these are the vivid memories of what I I remember as I was growing up and the Nienka would take like a whole day and sometimes she steamed overnight now so you know it's usually and using really traditional uh, fire I mean wood you know like she, she'll, she'll go and get from the there used to be a little monsoon area near my uh, near my place or even right now I mean at the current place uh, but now of course now it's developed already so she used to go and get collect the wood and then she used that to steam uh, used that firewood to steam the nianka so it actually comes up with that smoky uh, taste and you know fe- uh, smell so right now my mom still does it uh, which in fact we actually launched it last year uh, for mm. on Quidis, my Instagram account, and uh, we use the charcoal steamer. So it's tr- still traditional, but instead of using firewood, we actually use charcoal. Yeah. Mm. Is it traditional to other families to also use charcoal, or was it something that your family improvised? 
Um, my family improvised because no longer we have firewood. Uh, I mean the the the, uh, the firewood to use to steam, but I think um, nowadays people I mean commercial or even if people are making it at home, they use the stove because it's much more convenient. Mm. So gas stove or electric stove over fire. So because the steaming can take a, a while, um, maybe an hour or so. So um, they use the, the, the gas stove, which is faster. Whereas with um, the traditional way of using charcoal, is about three hours long, about two and a half hours to three hours. And you yeah. have to always monitor the, the water to ensure that there's enough, enough water. But of course, the taste is really, really different because you do have that smoky, you know, uh, 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 smell and taste to it, you know. So it, it's, it's really different. Uh. So we, you, I've grown up eating um, homemade niankau. I've grown up eating homemade love letters. Um, and in fact, uh, Ipua, after my great-grand-aunt, uh, I think grand-aunt passed away, uh, we stopped having it because she no longer supplies us with it. So I think uh, my family and I missed that. La. So that's when I decided to try and, how to say, uh, recreate it based mm. on memory of the taste uh, of the Ipua. So um, mm. I did it quite a few times. Um, of course, my siblings were my critics. I would say critics because they were like really telling you, no, it's not up to standard. No, the skin is bad. No. So it took me quite a few years and many rounds. So each time when I tried it, it if it's not up to the standard, it's kind of like, I feel like, oh, yeah. you know, it's the self-esteem of trying to recreate it, you know, drops tremendously and then I just don't want to touch it anymore. And then, you know, like, I must have that the mood to try and recreate it again, to try it again. So it was many years of trial and error, to be honest, before I got, especially my brother's uh, approval, because my brother's the biggest critique. So. Yeah, I feel that a lot of Asians, or a lot of Chinese tend to be very critical. Like uh, mm. I remember when I was learning how to make a lot of local dishes. Mm. Yeah, my mom was very critical. Yeah. You know, her standards were very high. She wouldn't really mince her words. And so for me, that was like mm. uh, a barrier to me learning local food. Um, so why did it take so long for you to learn how to make Ibuah? I mean, um, did you not learn it from your grandmother? aunt as you were growing up no no i didn't learn from her because she didn't stay near us um so i actually went to research on how it's done and i try and simplify it uh to the way uh it's being done because the process the actual process of getting it done you need to fry the flour the glutinous rice rice flour you need to make a root before you add it in and everything. So I thought that was actually very, very um, mm. troublesome. So I tried to simplify the process and everything and also, um, and eventually I managed to uh, get it, I mean, get to the taste to almost like, I wouldn't say 100% to my gr grand aunt's uh, version, but yeah. about 80%, uh, not I wouldn't say 80-90%. And um, that's when, you know, my family members said, oh, yeah, you know, it, it really tastes like hers and everything. That's when I thought, okay, that's good. But and, um, then I started making it as just for family celebrations, for my mom's birthday. Um, and, you know, occasionally, if we feel like eating, then I'll make. So um, eventually, how I started Kui uh, this was last year during Circuit Breaker in Singapore, <clears throat> I, I made it because, you know, I had some free time mm -hmm. at home. So uh, it so happened that uh, a chef friend of ours actually 
came by with a loaf of sourdough and you know it's like it's not nice to just let somebody go off with an empty you know, empty-handed so yeah. uh, i decided to let her try the ipo i happened to make some so she tried it and it was her first time trying it and she says it's really really good and that i should totally sell it so that was how the entire thing happened and so uh because the chef is actually my husband's uh, friend so um so my husband said, oh, really? She can sell. So he started everything. So he started my Instagram page. In fact, my brand name, Kuedis, is also given by him. And also, you know, so he he, he started posting or doing all the posts. And, and that's how we, I, I got uh, Kuedis started. I don't do it full time. I only do it on weekends because I still work. Mm. So um, it's more for my interest. And also, um, mm. as I... As I started, I mean, over the last 10 years, my uh, interest in traditional kueh became even more, uh, uh, grew even further. So that's when I started thinking, you know, uh, you know, some of these kueh, the tradition is dying. Maybe I should start learning and all. So um, Ipua was the f- uh, not the first. In fact, Anku kueh was the first that I learned. And that was uh, from my auntie. And my auntie's in Perth, Australia. So they don't get to eat this um, yeah. kind of kueh. So she actually made it. And then um, when I was there, she actually uh, told me, oh, I made Anku kueh as well. So I asked her to share the recipe with me. And she shared it with me. But I, I, hang, I hung on to the recipe, but never made it mm. um, I'm more of like a visual person mm. so when she came by Singapore a couple of years back I think about 10-50 years back um, I asked her to make and show it to me so she made it at my mom's place because she was staying at my mom's and that's when I first saw it and then that's when I started um, learning how to make the Anku mm. as well yeah you talked about how the tradition of making kue is dying um, why do you mm. think that's the case um, I think because young people are not really interested to eat such traditional kueh. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, um, it's more the um, older folks. Mm-hmm. But increasingly, mm-hmm. some interests are growing because um, people that are making kueh to sell commercially are actually um, making... Uh, different types of flavors, you know, the latest kind of uh, flavors mm-hmm. or the, the latest um, interests that are that the the young people or in fact the current trend. Mm-hmm. So, like for angkukui, it used to be just traditional peanut and uh, mung the mung beans. Mm-hmm. Now you have like black sesame, you have matcha, mm-hmm. you have durian, you have all these flavors coming in to actually. Um, uh, get people interested to try. Uh, so it is, so they will try, they will buy because it's easier to buy than to make. But if you ask them to make, a lot of people will not want to do it because the process is very, very, yeah. very tedious. That's yeah. true. So, yeah. The, I mean, all ways, like, to be honest, um, if you want to make, it's a tedious process. Yeah. So not many people will want to go uh, buy it uh, go go into learning to make it. It's easier to buy. Yeah, it's easier to buy. You mentioned about how young people are not interested in eating traditional kueh. Do you feel mm. like local tastes and preferences have shifted, or is it because you know now in Singapore people just have so many options that you know they might go 
I mean, you know, kuih is not exactly the most flashy or the most trendy thing. So is that the reason why you think? I think that's one of the reasons. And and Singapore, to be honest, has got so much options. Mm. You know, and we are in competition with all the different types of uh, Western desserts as well. And uh, and in fact, um, different types of different uh, types of desserts from Korean to Japanese to uh, even even the Middle Eastern types of desserts and everything. So in Singapore, it's a food paradise, basically. Yeah. Everybody is, you know, everywhere you turn, people are looking at, you know, um, uh, uh, different types of fruits and everything. But you don't really see a hawker centre store selling specifically kueh. You know, so now I mean there are quite a few uh, commercial uh, kueh sellers that uh, have come out to make it a little bit more atas, like Harry Harry's N. They actually have a shop in. Um, right? Yeah, and no, now they have a shop at um, Suntec City as well. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, yes, correct. They have a shop in Suntec City as well. Uh, then you have. Um, who else? We have uh, Mrs. Quay that's also doing selling yeah. her her kueh salads. Then you have all these other. Um, you have like a Galicia pastry in. Uh, yes, Chambaru. in Chambaru. Yes, correct. That one is long queue all the time because that's very near my office actually. <laughs> so yeah, so basically, the there are more option. Uh, I mean, so there are these few shops like for the Hainanese desserts. There is one shop. Uh, one shop in Topayo that. I oh, think it's okay. called Hainan Hai, Hai, Hai Xiaoshi. Uh, mm-hmm. They specifically do a lot of the Hainanese um, uh, uh, dishes mm-hmm. and desserts and everything. So they, they actually do do that. Um, but for my children, my, I have two girls. One is like 17 and one is like 13. I make kueh at home. They don't even eat it because it's not, it's not to their palate, you know. They don't grow up eating it. So, like for me, I've been exposed to it when I was young. Mm. So my girls are only exposed to it like in the last one and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> so you, they eat one time. They went, uh, okay, it's okay. But you know, you they will not come back to it because they've been so exposed to all the other options available already. Mm. So yeah. do you think this is a strong argument for cooking at cooking traditional food at home? Because I mean, the reason why you would crave for an e-boy is because you grew up eating it but mm. now you know fewer and fewer Singaporeans actually cook at home let alone traditional dishes so I mean the future generations might not have this nostalgia you know this flavour memory I think kids these days are now growing up to what, burgers McDonald's KFC you know the, the all the, the fast foods and everything um, so the exposure to traditional kueh is, is actually lesser than my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my time, you know, like hawker food is not so readily available. You know, you have those people on the carrying the two little... How oh, I say? the bamboo uh, pole and the two baskets. The bamboo poles, yeah. You know, going around selling their, their char- uh, carrot cake and everything. So it's like if they come to your area, then you get to eat it. If, if they don't come, then you... You don't get, you, you won't eat it for a while. So a lot of it is home-cooked food. And also for me, because family circumstances then didn't allow us to be, uh, didn't allow us to eat out more. So it was all more mostly home-cooked uh, food and all. So um, the difference is there, basically, I think. Um, 
it's like okay if you talk about the traditional uh food my younger ones use eat like chee cheong fan and chui kueh because that's because my husband loves chee cheong fan so he eats it and uh so she's exposed to it so she she, she likes it uh she eats chui kueh because my mom makes the chui kueh homemade so she eats the chui kueh so you know it's like it's like what you are exposed to when yeah. you're young you tend to continue eating yeah. it but when you're not exposed to it when you're young then you know it becomes something strange and you know at that point as uh, as a uh, uh, more um as children or youth this day they are more um independent in terms of thinking i don't like this i don't like don't cut it down my throat <laughs> yeah. you know that's so true so yeah you you don't even like my older girl now that she's in poly and she's doing food and beverage business management oh wow i asked her to try my quiz and she's like one bite and she goes mm, okay it's nice but it's not my cup of tea you know so it's 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 really growing up with with the foods lah basically Mm. So, you know, last the last episode on the podcast I was mm. chatting with uh Shantan and mm. she was talking about how, you know, sometimes heritage dishes, you know, them being lost mm. uh with time is inevitable, you know. Sometimes it's a matter of survival of the fittest. Mm. Um so do you see that happening with kuih, you know, and if we were to lose some of these kuihs, would you think of it as like a natural progression with time or you know would you lament the loss of these kuihs? I would lament the loss of these kuihs because it's really um how should I say it's really traditional. It's really tradition and it's it reflects on the different um heritage as in like you know the teachers uh like the ipoas for the hainanese i mean funny you mentioned shan because she's the one that we gave the ipoa to yeah <laughs> so she was the one that said i should totally sell it so it was her first time trying it because she's never tried it before and so mm-hmm. she said oh i didn't realize that this is actually something that the hainanese yes yeah you know the there is the peranakan version which they call it the kuikochi which is similar mm. to the ipoa but the ipoa has got like peanuts and everything whereas kuikochi yeah. is just purely coconut so that's the 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 difference so i i i get i would i would feel i would feel sad lah that you know some of these kuis uh the tradition uh dies off and everything and nobody's uh taken over Mm. but i feel that in modern times right you know since covid a lot of um home cooks or mm. kuih makers have come out and started this resurgence of interest in kuih yeah. um i see you know a lot of heritage food being put on display in restaurants mm. um and that that wasn't common in the past um so do you feel that this resurgence was surprising when you first noticed it uh i guess i mean to be honest it's surprising but at the same time i think people because of covid uh people had more time on their hand uh because you're homebound all the time so you need to do something to expel the energy uh to keep you occupied and everything and i think that's where people started looking into oh what can i do you know and food is actually you know you need to eat you know you can't go out but you you, you need to eat so you know people start looking at oh what can i cook for the family oh you know i'm actually uh, hainanese maybe i should try this you know and see how it goes and then you start researching on the internet or on youtube and see how it gets done and everything so i think people have with more time on hand um i think um 
people are willing to invest in uh, cooking, home cooking, and mm. looking at you know uh, traditional dishes, uh, reflecting their own heritage. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you ask me, if I was pre-pandemic, um, whether would I be interested to start the Kuei business? I wouldn't because I don't have the time. I don't have uh, the time on hand, or it wasn't my focus then. You know. Um, I I learned to I learned how to make all these squares is actually specifically for my own interest because I just want to make sure that I know and then I can pass it down to my children, uh, and my children can pass it down to their children children. So it was more for a personal passion rather than trying to make it commercial mm. or to to sell it. But it was only during the pandemic that you know it was a little bit more free with time, um, and mm. you know to keep myself occupied and not get onto my husband's nerves and my children's nerves, you know. So I started like, okay, let's do this, let's do this. So yeah, so like things like the angku kue, kue salad, um, ipo, all these I will. I was already doing it more for like family gatherings, family parties, family birthday celebrations. So I was doing all this. I always make uh, angku kue for my mom's birthday because you know no point buying since I know how to make. And I think it's quite special if you make something for your mom on her, her big birthdays and all. So um, that's why uh, I started making them. But you know, even like recently, last uh, this year, my niece got married, so I offered to make the. Ipoh for her because traditionally Ipoh is eaten during celebrations like weddings, birthdays, one month old. So I made for for her weddings and all to be given out. You know, so you know it's like it's nice to keep this tradition and also to make it for your family members, lah. You know? Yeah. So if I'm not wrong, in the past, kue making used to be done as a whole community, right? You know, whether mm. it's making patsang or making angku kue, mm. people, you know, the whole family would gather and one person would, you know, uh, knead the dough and then someone would yeah. make the filling or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it seems that with, I mean, the image that is portrayed in the media is that it has become a very solitary endeavor where mm. it is, you know, one person doing everything. Um, how, how do you feel about that change? Do you sense... I mean, I mean, is that change palpable to you? Um, yes, it's it's it's. I mean, if I ask my children whether they want to learn my daughter, my daughter who's in food and beverage management, later, later, mummy, later. You know, is it, is they look at the process and they go, oh god, it's too it's too troublesome, you know, and everything, you know. Uh, my younger one, if I ask her, she will say, okay, I come and help you. Like with the uncle Grace, she she likes to come and do the knocking it off from the. From the, the from the mold mm. and everything, so she will come and help me sometimes. And after it steams, she'll help me to trim the banana leaf so that it looks nice and everything. So, um, but that's if she's bored and nothing to do, then she'll come and help me. If not, you know, she will be on her device, which young people are always on these days, and you know, um, and on their Instagram, TikToks, and everything. So these are some of the the other external influences that actually takes away the attention and the time. So, I mean, during my time, there's no such thing as internet, you know. So you go outside and play in the park. There's no such thing as mm. computer games, you know. If you want to eat, you you have to to to. I mean, I remember that you know when we were making the traditional love letters, we always hung around because there's always those that are didn't make it, yeah. uh, didn't pass the quality check, so you get to eat it. So you know, you 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 just hang around there. So like for 
our love letter making, we're quite happy that our second, our next generation, as in like my nieces, the older ones, they actually shown an interest because they've seen all the aunties gather together to make um, uh, the entire family, like in fact, my siblings and I, mm-hmm. um, uh, gather together to make it and then uh, and then give it to everybody that uh, we want to give to. So they actually took an interest to it and they actually started helping out as well until of course the pandemic broke la. so we kind of mm. like oh we can't make it so I saw your family photo yes. of uh, you guys making love letters and when I saw the photo I was like wow this is an image that is so hard to come Ooh. by in Singapore these days yep. because not many not many families still hold on to that kind of tradition mm-hmm. when your kids grow up they'll look back mm. and they'll feel that it's a very precious experience because not many people have it correct um i mean i totally agree because um when when we make this um uh, love letters pre-pandemic la, um when we all will go over to my mom's place and help out because i come from a family of uh, six six of us six siblings plus my mom's seven so it's just nice you know that you know we have everybody in the different uh, areas like i'm in charge of rolling it uh, my eldest sister is in charge is in charge of removing the the love letter from the mold to pass it to me then uh, my older uh, one of my sisters is in charge of monitoring and my uh, second sister is in charge of scooping it it used to be my mom but my mom is so old now so we retire her so she would do the scooping and then my brother is the fire watcher so know he'll watch the fire and to ensure that you know the fire is consistent so that you know the the process is is ongoing um and smooth flowing so um actually there's one year that i think in 2019 uh no 2020 chinese new year uh my sisters were saying that oh you know maybe we shouldn't make this year lah, you know everybody's a bit tired so i said okay you know let, let's not make my husband was the one that said hey even if your sisters don't make, why don't you just borrow the stove from mom's place and you make it outside our house? You know, just maybe make a small batch, you know, maybe just borrow one stove with the five moles and then, you know, get the girls to help you. So, so I went, oh, okay, maybe I should, I could do that. So I was just talking to my mom and my brother overheard. Then my brother said, no, 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 no. Why don't we just make some? Just let, call the other sisters and ask them all to make as well. So actually with the intention of not making in 2020 before the lockdown, we actually made because my husband wanted to keep the tradition alive, tradition alive of making love letters with your family and to get my children involved as well as a bonding, uh, 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 as a bonding uh, activity. I, I think that's so beautiful that, you know, you have your partner to spur you on. So like, you know, when one party is like feeling, you know, I don't want to do it, then the mm. other one can encourage. And I, I can mm. totally relate to that because when I, so I'm based in Australia right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm living in Melbourne. And uh, mm. when I first moved here, I, I, I told myself, I don't want to do anything for Chinese New Year. You know, after all those mm-hmm. Chinese New Year spent in Singapore, that is like really yep. hectic, right? It mm. would be nice to just not do anything. But when the day actually came around, you you suddenly felt I suddenly felt like something was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's when I realized that even something as simple as making some stock and then using it as a hot pot, um, really makes such a big difference. You know, in in yeah. celebrating or you know just creating that sense of togetherness. Yeah, I mean, my I have a cousin that's staying in Melbourne as well, and he is into a lot of this 
celebration family because he gets a bit lonely there because his own family is back in Perth, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so he always wants uh, us to go and visit. And he and his wife actually celebrates Chinese New Year. You know, they will send us photos of you know, like you know, my cousin-in-law's uh, floral arrangement and you know, and all that. Oh, also, mm-hmm. the celebrations and everything. And my auntie in in Australia will also celebrate with her her girls, and she will also make the pineapple tarts and everything. And her to, uh, my cousins who are staying who are staying near her will actually go and help her with the pineapple tarts. And in fact, the nieces and nephew, those that are that are free and not in school, will also help her to come and make the pineapple mm-hmm. tarts and things. So it's like. A, a bit of a family bonding and also um, yeah. tradition. So, like my cousin-in-law in Australia, in Melbourne, she also learned to make the angku kueh from her mother-in-law, whom I learned from mm-hmm. as well. So she will show me pictures, send me pictures of her angku kueh she made. And then um, even like my auntie's birthday, uh, and if she's in town in in Perth, she will make for my auntie's birthday and all. So you know, it's 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 really nice. I think. My siblings and us, you know, it's we have this special bond because we grew up with very little, and so mm-hmm. um, the bonding is there. The sacrifice that all my siblings made for each other, um, even for us when we were growing up, so we really appreciate it. And the the fact that uh, a lot of all my brother in laws said, "Oh, there's no other family that we we know that is so close," you know, that mm-hmm. you guys are so close. So that's why we have a lot of these. Um, Family activities, uh, pre pre pandemic, every Sunday without fail, all of us will head back to my mom's house, and so my mom's house will have like close to thirty people, um, including mm. the nieces and the nephews, and you know the older ones will hang out together, the youngest the younger ones will play together, then you know the the sisters and the in laws will just sit down, chit chat, can talk about anything, mm. and then my mom and the helpers will be busy cooking, or my sister in law will be busy cooking, you know, and then we have dinner together. So that is what we do every Sunday without fail, you know. Is is is. Is that family closeness lah like, that brings everybody together, and it brings cooking together as well. To be honest, mm. I love your story, and it makes me so nostalgic and so homesick because um, my maternal family is actually very similar mm. to yours in that. Um, uh, so it was a big family. So my mom had seven, six, seven siblings. Mm. Siblings, and um, you know when I was growing up. The food, I mean, because, you know, you know, it was a big household and it was a big family. So a lot of the dishes that I remember from my maternal side, they're very simple. You mm. know, it's a lot of uh, frugality in the cooking. Mm. So even things like fish eggs, you know, mm. my, my papa, she'll like dip it in fl- uh, cornstarch and deep fry mm. it. Or, you know, just simple things like um, cracking open a durian. I mean, small things could feel like a feast, yes. you know, and I, I feel that that is so emblematic of that time. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that that kind of um, difficult growing up years influenced the kind of food that you guys ate as a family? Definitely, yes. Um, as what you mentioned, you know, like food we, we ate were like just simple fried fish, a vegetable and meat uh, and maybe a, a, a meat dish. I mean, that would be what what all of us would cook I mean, my my younger sister, myself, and my fourth sister, uh, we are a couple. We are just like one two years apart from each other. I think my 
between me and my fourth sister is three years. Between me and my younger sister is two years. So we are like the younger ones. And then between my fourth sister and my brother is five years. So when my dad passed away in the 70s, uh, we were still very young. My younger sister was only four years old, I was only seven. So we really, really grew up with not having much. Um, and then we started, we were, we were forced, I would use the word forced. Mm. We were forced to cook. Um, when I was 13 and I hated cooking I really hated cooking because at in when you're 13 you want to go out to the park and play you don't want to like oh six o'clock I gotta go back and prepare dinner for everybody so we me and my siblings really hated cooking and then we had to like cook we had to clean the house and everything so that was what what uh, and so when when I reach um young adulthood I refused to go into the kitchen because my mom stopped working, so she was like cooking and everything, you know. And then uh, after studies, I, I started working, so you know, didn't have time to take up cooking. Only took up cooking again or revisited cooking was when I got married, mm. and you have no choice but to cook because <laughs> if not, your mother-in-law will frown upon you. And I happened to marry a Puranakan. Uh, uh, my mother-in-law is a Peranakan. My husband is Eurasian. Oh. My mother-in-law is a Peranakan. And she is so picky. She's like, she behaves like a matriarch. So, you know, uh, and her standard is very, very high. And I used to get very insulted when I cook something and she goes, mm, not enough salt. And she would literally take the soya sauce and, you know, put it in front of you. And like, you know, it's not salty enough. You know? So it used to like, well, you know, I used to be like, but, I think it's salty already. And I asked my husband, it's salty right here. And yeah, 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 yeah. To her, you know, everything is not perfect, lah, you know. So yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, typical, very typical. So I grew up with that. And, but, you know, it was um, living with her whereby I learned, I pick up some of the Nonia dishes as well. Mm. You know, um, like her pork chop, her babi ponte, her Nonia curries, uh, her Nonia chap chai. Uh, so these are some of the recipes that I picked up from her when we were when she was staying with us, lah. So that's where my interest in cooking started coming out again. But then, of course, uh, with work, it was really really difficult to uh, cook. So I cook on weekends, and it does help that, like what you mentioned, lah, that your partner is also interested in food. So my husband actually likes to cook as well. So, but he mm-hmm. likes to do all the Western stuff. So he does yeah. all the steaks, the roast beef. Suvi this, suvi that. So he does all those. Whereas I'm into more of the local um, foods like misiam, mm. laksa, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, but actually Hainanese food culture is very intertwined with all these like Western classics, yes. right? I mean, there's Correct. a lot of influence from Western cuisine. Yes, because um, traditionally in in the in back in the 70s, 60s, uh, if you during the colonial days, I would say. A lot of these colonial um, uh, uh, families will have a Hainanese cook. So the Hainanese will learn the Western uh, style of cooking, uh, different types, and they, they will incorporate it into Hainanese food. So if you look at Hainanese pork chop, there is mixed vegetable with, uh, with French fries. Mm-hmm. So the pork chop is actually Hainanese, but the sides are actually very Western. So, like, uh, they have uh, mutton stew or they have the beef stew. It's actually very Western. But they actually brought it and then they add the Hainanese influence into it, basically. Yeah, so these are some of them. So, what is the Hainanese influence? Um, I think it's just, let's say beef stew, how you... 
upgrade it. So they added potatoes, they added carrots. You know, so they they made they made it what they picked up from from uh, who they work with. And in fact, uh, if I'm not wrong, a lot of Hainanese men were sailors as well. So they sail around the world. So they are exposed to the kind of food. And then when they finally settle back down in Singapore, that's how they become cooks. So a lot of them are actually cooks in colonial families. So these are some of the, the, the like beef stew. Then they would um, upgrade it by using lamb. So you have the lamb stew. You never think of using beef, but because they see people eating lamb and, and the, the English eating lamb stew and everything, they incorporate that in mm. as well. So they change the, the meats, the protein from yeah. a beef to a lamb. So um, that's how they, 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 they did I mean like crackling pork, which is like siu yolk. Mm. But they call it crackling pork. So I, 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 my mom's older brother was actually a chef in I think American club couple of years ago many 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 years ago and he actually uh learned to make the crackling pork and then he then actually uh uh, uh um how should i say put his uh, own spin on put it. his own spin to it to to our own siuyok i mean if you go outside to all these cantonese teochew restaurant the siuyok crackling is actually just using salt uh, mm. and oil to crackle the skin but my uncle added flavors in he has mustard uh, he has ginger he has um, uh, garlic you know that's the marinade for for the entire meat and the skin then after that he'll wipe it down and then he he will add salt and everything the normal crackling process wow. and everything yeah so the my and so my mom he, he taught my mom how to do it so my mom actually mm. does a very good suyo which my, my entire family loves so I'm still learning. I still cannot perfect the crackling yet. I did it uh, a few times. The very first time I did, the entire skin disintegrated from the meat. So I'm like, Mom, what happened? She went, oh, you're supposed to use, you cannot use fresh pork. You must use frozen pork. Oh my gosh. Why? Um, I don't know why. She just told me you cannot. So, you know, some ways, some some other ways people do is like they parboil it. Then after that, then they crackle it. So, it's very different. So, my mom's one is really the traditional way. So, she has it marinate overnight. Then after the next day, she has this process and with baking powder for the skin and the wow. salt. Yeah. So, so it's really different. So, this is traditional to all or most Hainanese families, not just your family? I think just my family, not all families. Now a lot of people are just using um, um, shortcut ways to crackle the, the pork. Uh, so my cousin in Australia, uh, cousin-in-law in Australia, does a mean um, uh, uh, siu yolk as well uh, in Australia. Mm. But he does it the um, parboil and then, you know, season yeah. parboil and then you crackle it you know so we tried using his version as well uh yeah not very successful so i think i'm just gonna continue <laughs> using my mom's version you, you totally should master that recipe it sounds amazing mm. with the marinade yeah. and then wiping it down Correct. and then crackling the yeah. skin but what about um for hainanese kueh it's like the the kueh that is most unique to Hainanese food culture, the ibuwa. Yes, is there, you know, are, are there, there others? There are others. Um, there is what, um, there is one that my mom told me that I should learn how to make. But you know, I I need to go to the Hainan Xiaochi to eat it to to really know as it is. In Chinese, I don't know in Hainanese, con- the Hainanese name sounds very very crude, but the direct conversion is chicken shit. 
So my mom, my mom said, "Oh, you have to to go and learn how to make the chicken yeah. poop." I went, "What chicken poop?" Then she went, "Yeah, there's this other dish called chicken poop." I went, "Okay, I'll have to head down to this Hainan Xiaochi to to see because they still sell it." And then you know, apparently it's made with some kind of、um, bitter veggie or something. I can't remember. So you know, then there's the other version of. Um, that's what you call the atpua, so which is、um, uh, a traditional、uh, Hainanese dish as well. So you know it's almost the same as、mm. the ipua, but ipua you actually roll it and you know you wrap it in banana leaf. This one using the dough, you actually cook it in the in the、uh, in the water. You actually co-、uh, cook it and you dish it out and you coat it with the coconut filling.、Uh, so that is the other、uh, one atpua. Yeah. But I think、uh, there is this、um, shop in Singapore, this、uh, which is I think the second generation from the Hainan Xiaochi. They actually made it into a mochi version. So they do it into a little ball, glutinous rice ball, but they roll it, they coat it with the coconut outside. Is this all things Hainanese? Yeah, the the next generation, correct. Yeah, so they also started that as well. Uh, there is actually another restaurant here in Singapore. I'm not sure whether you heard of them,、uh, British Hainan.、Mm, I have. So they they their food is really really good. In fact,、uh, British Hainan actually asked me whether wanted I wanted to collaborate and you know this was like pre pandemic、uh, mm-hmm. whether I wanted to supply the ipua to them to sell, but、um, I was not confident in doing it more commercial. So I kind of like said no. I mean, it took me a while to. And it was actually I never intended to sell my quays. Basically, it was actually、uh, Shen that actually encouraged me that we started. So, but I think it's it's so great that you actually did because I feel that Hainanese quay hasn't been in the spotlight much.、Yes. I feel that people don't really know much about it. Yeah. So yeah. So I think the the pandemic has actually. Uh, uh, Made the resurgence of kui, so I I think the pandemic was good and bad in 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 bad because you know there was total shutdown. But、uh, I felt that it was really、mm. really good in terms of creating time for family, uh, uh, and families were were bonding together over food. I mean actual、uh, immediate families. Like for me, it was important because my kids used to、mm. have dinner at my mom's house、uh, before they come home. Together with my helper, because、um, I'm working, my husband's working, so、yeah. the kids are actually、uh, my mom child minds for me.、Uh, together with my helper's help, so after school they go to my mom's house, so they eat what my mom cooks basically, which is what I eat anyway. So then、uh, my husband and I, if we、uh, sometimes we eat together, sometimes he will settle his own dinner, I will settle my own dinner, or eat at my mom's place. Then the kids come home, so we don't really have meals meal time together. It's only on weekends. But、uh, with the pandemic, there was a lot more meal time together. There was a lot more conversations, laughter,、um, troubleshooting of emotional problems from the kids and everything. You know, so you know,、um, good in that、mm. sense whereby it forced families to be together, but bad because you know, of the shutdown and everything. You know, but、um, mm. so I I saw it as more positive lah. You know,、uh, than negative that you know. Um, I had more time with my family. My husband was、yeah. working from home all the time, so he's always around.、Uh, and then, I mean, that's how we we started. I mean, that's how I started the the、um, quidditch as well.
That's fantastic. So, I mean, on a more personal level, how has this journey really transformed you? Do you feel that it connected you more deeply with your Hainanese heritage? Mm. You know, did you have any shifts in perspectives? Um, it made me want to learn a lot more about um, what are some of the Hainanese traditional food. Uh, I had people asking me whether do I want to, uh, do I sell um, Hainanese dumplings for Tuan Wujie? I went no. Um, I wanted to learn, but my mom told me don't because making bakjang is once you start, it's going to be a lifelong thing. You will you cannot stop. So I'm like, huh? She went, yeah. That's why your grandmother, you know, when your grandmother started making it, we have no choice but to make it every year. But when your grandmother passed away, we decided we took it a, we took it as an opportunity to stop making the bakjang. What do you mean by you cannot stop? I don't know. I don't know why, why, why she said you cannot stop. It's something which you will need to continue to do till you know, thy kingdom comes. So, yeah. I I didn't ask further, but that's what that's what she said, and my sister echoed. She said, "Yeah," and I still remember like the bachang. Now that you know we we talk about bachang, you remember the bamboo poles, you know, where we used to hang the clothes, you know, the bamboo yeah. uh, uh the clothes stand yeah. that were used to hang the. Bachang, and again, my grandmother used the wooden, the wood, wood burning stove that she makes for the niankau. She used the same thing. She'll make one makeshift one, and then she'll steam her 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 bachang like that as well. So, those are my re- recollection, and it's really traditional lah. So again, that smoky smell and everything comes in. So for me, I'm quite lucky. I have both Hainanese and some of the Nonya influences because of my mother-in-law. So like things like uh, kueh salat, you know, I learned. Uh, it's not something I learned from my mother-in-law, but I started eating them because my mother-in-law, when I was dating my husband, she used to have them on the table, and I used to eat it. She doesn't really, really make them. Um, she actually buys them, but you know, but the exposure is there. So then I begin. Oh, I like this kueh. So then I start learning to make. Uh, make it, and then uh, over the years, because of my work as well, uh, that's where I started uh, to be more interested in food again. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's how everything came came together. Yeah, I feel like your generation, and you know, to some extent, my generation, we are so lucky in that you know we live in a time where when we come home, there's like traditional food on the on the table, like food. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, sometimes I speak with my cousins or my mm. younger brother. So they are like in their teens, right? Um, mm. or, or early 20s. And they would tell me things like, oh, what is Angku Kueh? Or like, what is Kueh Pai Ti? You know what I mean? Mm. And I feel that there yes. is already that loss. Like with every generation, there is so much that is being lost. So how do you feel we can, you know, try to preserve it or keep it going? I think... um exposure to our children like for me which is what i'm trying to do uh to expose them and in fact my husband is encouraging expose them to it so like the making process the taste and then the stories behind it you know sharing with them the stories behind it how this came about or how did mommy started making this kueh and what this kueh signifies and everything what is it and you know like not many people are doing it you know and it'd be good that you know you can continue this tradition and all and you know with my older girl the one that's doing this uh hotel food and beverage management i often tell her you look at you know these um she watches a lot of net- netflix program on cooking and everything i say look at all these 
you know, it's all tradition, you know, like these three brothers, you know, their passion for food actually derived from the mom's cooking and everything. Mm. And they became cooks and things. It's, it's because of the exposure since young. And to be honest, uh, I think if you look at um, chefs um, around the world, a lot of them have traditions behind them, which is family, a mother, fa- grandmother, fa- her parents cooking and everything. I mean, if, sh- if you look at chef... Uh, Shen, she's also coming from somebody whose uh, whose parent is actually who runs a food business mm-hmm. at uh, um, uh, what's that hawker center, the one that is uh, near Chinatown. Um, Maxwell. Maxwell Market, yeah. So you know, so there, there's a lot of these you know exposure to it. So the more we expose our kids uh, to it, I think the interest will slowly. Uh, picked up basically yeah. yeah so you talk about the importance of exposure and I mean you have been doing that for your children since the pandemic because you have more time but the thing mm. is you know um, when everything goes back to a new normal and people start having less time how do you think it's practical um, for us to expose the younger generation to to foods in the traditional foods in the home setting I think to be honest, people like me who are into traditional queer makings and those um, other cooks out there, maybe we should come together and do workshops that will interest young people or to expose. I mean, if you look at, you know, um, out there in the market right now in Singapore, there's always cake baking workshops, bread making workshops, there's uh, uh, um, uh, cake decoration workshops, soap making workshops. You know, so maybe if we can get chefs to actually do a uh, traditional kueh making workshops, but appealing to the young. Younger means um, maybe the teenagers or even children. You know, when you expose them when they are young and they might find that, oh, it's actually quite fun. Mm. But un- unfortunately, pe- you need to fine-tune the process because some kueh making process is actually very long. Yeah. Like your kueh like your salad, you need to soak the you know, the glutinous mm. rice for at least two, three hours, you know. Then, you know, the, the process of extracting the, the uh, pandan juice. And you talk about traditional, you have to use the traditional way of doing it as in extracting the, extracting the pandan juice. You cannot say, oh, you know, let's do the shortcut way, use the pandan paste because the taste is totally different, you know. Yeah. And, you know, so things like this. So you need to find a way to simplify the process mm. so that it fits the amount of time for a typical workshop. Yeah, but I think at the mm. same time, um, kui making is so different from, say, pastry making or cake making. Yes. I myself, I mean, when I... So, I mean, I used to work in kitchen, so I'm, I'm used to manual labour. But when my mm. grandmother-in-law taught me how to make her peng kui and her uncle kui, mm. it's just like hour upon hour of pressing, you know, molding the kue and then pressing yes. it, knocking it out. It's yeah. like so repetitive and I felt mm. that it was quite torturous, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and it's different yeah, from yeah. making a cake because making a cake, you just like make the batter, put it in the pan, put, put it in the oven and that's it. Uh, yes, correct. So basically, I think um, you are totally right. Because when I started making the Anku Kueh, like, for my mom's birthday, wow, you know, I have to make 60, yeah, like, oh, God, when is this going to finish, you know, and everything. But the thing is that because now that I make it so often, I have the process in... The muscle memory. Yes, you know, it's like, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. And because you do it so often, you 
it becomes like natural and also mm. the the utensils you use are lesser to be honest mm. I, I don't use so when I first started I remember well, I had my entire countertop would be filled with utensils and, and then the tedious of you know having to wash is so tedious you know washing every utensil but right now it's like okay this is the only thing so like for my kuih salad making I only use two bowls uh, two, two soup bowls and one uh, stirring bowl that's it wow you know, so you, you got that you get that process you know you streamlined it and everything so I mean when when Singapore Heritage uh, uh, first actually uh, approached me and asked me whether can I do a demo for them I had to tell them that let me think about it because I need to streamline the entire process mm. uh, into an hour and a yeah. half workshop how am I going to do that so I had to go back to her and say that I cannot show you the entire process I can only show you pictures of how uh, the, 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 the filling is made, uh, being made. I can show you the made filling and then I can uh, make the dough on the spot because that's easy. But, you know, so, so I had to streamline the, the entire process um, so that I could squeeze it into an hour and a half. And so for if you want to conduct traditional kuih making workshops, that is what people have to probably do lah, how to streamline the entire process so that it can be conducted within the hour and people wouldn't look at it like, oh my god, it's so tedious, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, you, when you make the peng kueh, you're like, oh my god, it's like so tedious, I don't want to, you know, uh, make this, you know, uh, just once in a while and everything and all that. So I, I, I won't want to try it. So I think it's about um, and making it interesting, mm. making it more fun so that people will, will pick up. In fact, I do have people asking me whether do I want to conduct workshops or do I want to, can they come over and I conduct workshops? I mean, no, I'm not ready for that yet. Um, I have done a video of kuih uh, salad making because I did it with three of my friends. They wanted to learn. And after they went, oh my God, like this is so, it's, the process is so long. Can we just, can you just make and we, 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 we buy it off you uh, when we feel like eating, we, we order wow. from you. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. You know, so you know, when they get daunted by it. They're like, oh my God, it's so long, you know. Mm. You mean I have to, st- st- it has to steam for 45 minutes? You mean I have to soak the rice for half an hour, for three hours? And what if I don't soak the rice and everything? So, you know, all these questions and all. You mean I have to stand here and stir for 10 minutes, you know? And I cannot even guarantee that the consistency is yeah. correct, you know. So it's like, uh, so I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I say, yeah, yeah. It's easier to order, like, And you know, in Singapore, it's easier. It's it's quite easy to buy all these, all this food. Yeah. But unfortunately, a lot of these food that you buy commercially out there, is actually factory mm. made, machine made. It's not so you know, uh, handmade or or personalized, lah. Like. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm. I feel that um, you know, the quality of kuehs that we have now you know after covid mm. is so is so vastly different from you know say what you get uh factory made kind of ways you mm. know from shops in the past so yeah i mean i'm very excited to to taste yours when i'm finally back in singapore mm. because my knowledge of hainanese kuih is not really there and i i don't think i've had really good versions of day and ibua mm. in singapore can you tell our listeners where they can go to to find out more about you or you know if they want to order you? Um, they can visit my Instagram, which is Fu uh, at Guidisfu, uh currently because I'm still doing it uh, part time because I'm still mm. uh, working. I only make on Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, because mm. I work Mondays to Thursday, 
and um, orders have to be three days in wow. advance basically uh, so that it gives me time I even buy my ingredients fresh I don't buy and keep it for the week you know so if I need I buy what I need so I don't have to store them in the fridge so basically mm. it's all fresh Thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. on the podcast. It was great listening to you share about, mm-hmm. you know, especially how COVID has you know, literally changed your life. And also to hear about the family stories, I, I found that very heartwarming. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hopefully we see you when you come back to Singapore, if there is a, a chance. Yes, yeah, I definitely made some quiz for you, definitely. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. You have been listening to Gladys Fu, who is the founder of Gladys Fu. If you're looking for last-minute gifts, the food publication arm of Singapore Noodles, Seasonings Magazine, has Christmas bundles available for purchase. Each comes with three spices blended by Jaya Seelan, who is a spiceman who operates out of a wet market. So we have fish seasoning by Orang Lawit SG, a satay seasoning by The Soulful Cook, and also a granola seasoning by Moom Health. Everything is wrapped together with a block printed cloth that is repurposed from Ray Crafted's production leftovers. If you'd like to purchase a bundle, visit seasoningsmag.com. To stay updated with more news from Singapore Noodles, visit our website at sgpnoodles.com or sign up for our newsletter at sgpnoodles.substack.com. That is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast and I'll catch you next week.